Hey everybody, John Clare here. Welcome to episode four of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today we'll be discussing auto, home, and excess liability insurance, a critical part of your financial plan. We're lucky to have our friend Jeff Swanson of Total Insurance Planning to join us today to talk about this topic. I would have to say that property and casualty insurance, is, is, which en- encompasses auto, home, and excess liability, is often, uh, I would say, neglected in, in social circles. Uh, it's not often talked about, but it's something that everybody should have, and we try and delve into the topic today to cover the main points of what these policies are meant to cover uh, and what people should pay attention to as they re- may review their own policies. Um, first, a few words about Jeff. Uh, Jeff, as I said, is the president of Total Insurance Planning. Uh, He is also, uh, as of the past two years, the director of personal line sales at Town Insurance Agency. Jeff has spent 20 years in the insurance business working at companies like Safeco and Donegal. In 2004, he started his own insurance agency here in Richmond. And in 2015, Town Bank uh, and his operation merged together. Uh, and he's been with Town Bank for the past two years. And as he says, he's planning to end his career there uh, sometime in the distant future when he stops having fun. And as you'll tell from the podcast, Jeff's a pretty cool guy. And I don't think he's in danger of running out of having fun anytime soon. Um, as we always do before our podcast, uh, I just wanted to say that it's important to note that this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and to have some fun. If you need advice in any of those areas tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. A few notes about today's episode before we dive in. Um, As you know, this is our second podcast featuring the Evo 5, where we quiz our guests at the beginning on certain topics and our uh, Name That Tune segment today. I have to say that I think Jeff may not get full credit as you'll say he see he guessed the song right after the lyric actually sang the chorus so we'll give him partial credit but he was a good sport uh and there were a few extra um ambient taps and some knocks on the table today so we apologize we'll try and edit out as much of that as we can uh but it's not your connection it was just in the recording so we hope you'll enjoy this podcast here's evofi team with jeff swanson Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. With me today, as always, is Dave O'Brien, CFP, Lisa Spenick, BMOC, and Jeff Swanson, CIC, president of Total Insurance Planning, LLC, and director of personal line sales at Town Insurance Agency. Thank you all for joining us. All right, so... You know, we started last time with our fun section to get the juices flowing, calling it the Evo 5. Evo 5. Evo. Jeff looked at me like, what? Sound, that sound evil. So to, to get things going, there's five questions that we like to ask up front that weren't on the outline. You don't have to prepare for them. This is not extra credit either, because okay. yeah, no. it comes right. up front. So. <clears throat> but we are going to start a leaderboard, uh, and you're only the second one, so... I can't you, you can definitely take a lead. Yeah. That's good. All right, so we're going to start off easy. What was your first job? Zare Department Stores. 
in Macon, Georgia, right next to the pulp mill. Hardline manager right out of college. Big job, $14,400 a year. That was your first job after college? 1983. You do anything when you were a teenager? I played sports. Good for you. I thought you were from New York. Boston. Boston. I'm a Bostonian. Oh. Born and raised. Okay. But schooled. And, and you were where in Georgia? Macon. I was schooled in the hills of Tennessee. A little, okay. A little so it wasn't in, like, hey there, little Yankee boy. Well, it was when I got to college. I felt like okay. I walked in the movie Deliverance when I got to Swanee. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good that we haven't heard that one before. Retail. So that's good. Um, what is your favorite word? Boston. Really? Yeah. Uh, is that really, it's like a proper play. Is that really like a, I have to be more specific. It's about a word. It. No, it's yeah. a word. Yeah, no, it's a no. word. Yeah. I, don't get I think Boston's the word. Baston's the I'm way get, that it's and it can be, hate it, mail. It's the pronunciation. <laughs> and it can it. be an adjective. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go Boston on them. There okay. you go. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. What, profes- what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Chef. I would love to learn to be a chef, go to Italy and study oh, uh, yeah. being a chef. You know, you That'd can do awesome. that. I know. I mean, I'm, you can do these short Little jaunts, mm-hmm. vacation things. I've had friends do it. Yeah. And, and I'm, we're really seriously looking at doing it next summer. That's awesome. Unfortunately, you don't end up as a career chef when you're done. That would be the... Yeah, but you can come home be the and win. cook for people. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That'd be fun. That's all that's important. Yeah. Can you cook now? Yeah, I'm pretty good. My mom, I'm a Sabatinelli, by, that's the family name. Okay. And so I learned to cook Italian from my mom. I make, make my own pasta. Okay. Make some good gravy. No, I make some great yeah. gravy. See, he knows. There he calls go. it gravy. Right. I'm fulfilled. My, my grandpa yeah. Dolfo, you called it. Yeah. yeah. I have an uncle Guido who owned. Who does it? Right. I do. I have an uncle, a real one. Oh, he owned a liquor store. Got uncle shot Guido. three times. No. What? He got shot three times. Oh. Yeah. Well, uncle a- Uncle Louie owned the concrete block. No kidding. The concrete block manufacturing company outside of Boston. Somehow this is all getting woven into insurance <laughs> conversations later. It's a new podcast. Yeah. Oh. So I think you're in the lead now. Okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, Jeff's number four. <clears throat> um. Well, I have another follow-up, but I'm going to skip that for later. Greatest of all time. So this is, uh, I'm going to give you a choice. Greatest of all time in business, in sport, or in entertainment. Who's your guy or gal? There's no wrong answers. How about Bobby Orr? Oh, See, no one's going to yeah. go there. Now, wait, yeah. let's let's just do a quick test and see what these guys know He played for the Penguins? Yeah, sure. All right, there you go. Almost. Yeah, right. Bobby Good Orr. One. At well, least you got you, the right sport. You can't touch That's, it. I was just wondering if you were going to... Like, you big hockey baseball? fan? I don't think I knew that. I am. You go to the game here in town? No. That's not hockey. Do they yeah, even have hockey now? No, the really. old IHL team. Not since the early 80s they haven't had But I got hockey. a buddy of mine that was a backup goalie nice. on that team. Bobby Jones. Well, somebody in here knows Jonesy. No, probably. West over at Bonaire Insurance. I oh, think. yeah. yeah. He Does was, he work there? He was. He's the owner of oh. West over Bonaire. He was a backup goalie for the IHL team here. Sweet. Good sport. All right, so here's a fun one. This is the multimedia one. Those were fun. All right, so <clears throat> so I'll say the fifth question is a name that tune. Oh, boy. And it's the theme of the podcast. Okay. Now, our last guest didn't get it. He wasn't even close. But um, so you're going to be the first on the leaderboard. Now, I'm going to put it on the phone, and we're going to have to edit it in later. But so you may want to pull off your headphones. <clears throat> you, got, you got 15 seconds. Jeff, I think you're going to do it. You ready? Hmm. My kids are going to hate me. It's Bruce. Just getting tough. Cover me. Nice. Okay. 
You got it. I was going to cut was it in 15 there, seconds. Did I get there in 15? Cover me. It was, no, it was more like seven. Well, you can, you can back it up a few seconds but, and, and then well let done. Jeff answer well before done. Bruce says. So you get the theme, cover. right? Uh-huh. This world is getting cover rougher, rougher. Cover me. Okay. A lot of things I here. like that. So I figure that gets the juices flowing, right? Now we're now we're having fun, so let's it, dive either into... Either that or it loses the whole audience. We don't know yet. You always it's say just, that, Dave, yeah, but I think people do right in. Yep. Viewer I've, mail. We've looked at some of the stats, and most people listen for the first eight minutes and 32 seconds. So then so when I would we get say to the they topics, actually tune in for that. Them, that's true. We better and hurry. we are at uh, okay. 544, so we have three minutes. Three minutes to get the important stuff in. All right. So as people know, today is is our goal is to talk about property and casualty insurance, as we refer to it in our world, but more specifically in lay layperson's terms, it's your home, your auto, and then the, that pesky thing called an umbrella policy that your financial advisor keeps telling you about. So I thought we... Who needs to who needs to insure an umbrella? I know. Really? I mean... No. If it's a nice so. one. But so I thought we'd start with, you know, some of the basics uh, and then maybe talk about some of the answers to the questions that people are too embarrassed to ask. Sure. Um, and so in no particular order, auto happens to be alphabetically first. So let's start at auto insurance. So um, Jeff, in general, I mean... Let's break this down a little bit. Why, why is it important and why is it not only required by law, but important for someone's financial plan? You know, I think the, the problem that has come into existence over the last 20 years is that we have dumbed down auto insurance because of advertising so much that in 15 minutes, you can get all your answers you'll ever need to anything that has to do with auto. And it's always 100% focused on price. It's, it's the only thing people talk about when you listen to those companies that advertise heavily on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear it 15 minutes or less, call, and, I, and I, you know the name, so sure. I don't have to say them. And I think that, that we do a huge disservice to our customers by thinking that way. Price first coverage is a secondary issue. And, and so I would say the big problem, the thing we should do when we're helping clients is, is look at coverage first, figure out what they need, and we'll work back through to a price once we're sure we have them covered correctly. Okay. And so what are the major types of – so when we talk about auto insurance, what are the major types of coverages that people should have and why do they have them just at a high level? At a really high level, there's two different types. There's bodily injury and there's physical damage coverage to the vehicle. So. You have bodily injury on one side. That's if you do damage to somebody or something. And then if you get in an accident and it's your fault, you got to be able to fix your car. If it's a 20-year-old car that's worth 500 bucks like my kids, then you probably don't need physical damage. But if it's a car that's worth some money, you need to cover it. So you've got a physical damage and you've got your liability. On liability, you have two things, hurting somebody and hurting something. So it's bodily injury or it's property damage. And those are kind of at a really high level when you look at auto, what you need to Covering. So, so you've we've all heard the term. Maybe not all of us, just us geeky people. Split limits. So that refers to the different types of things you just talked about. Can you, if people are listening and they they're going to whip out their policy right after this podcast, and, and they want to look at their coverage amounts, and it's not as simple as three hundred, one hundred, one hundred, but it's like two fifty, five hundred here, and then hundred there. And so, how can someone at a high level evaluate whether they have the basic coverages you've talked about, and what are the approximate amounts that are like not to go below that or else we need to, you know, Good question. look at it. And, and I will tell you what our agency standard is. And, and so when we started the agency 15 years ago, we set this minimum standard. If, if they wanted coverage for bodily injury that was less than $100,000, 
per person, 300,000 per accident. And they weren't willing to talk to us about having that as a minimum standard. They wanted the state minimum 2550. We would ask, we would politely tell them there were other agencies that would help them because I don't think you're, do, you're doing a disservice if you're insuring somebody at less than 100,000, 300,000, then at least 100,000 on the property damage. I would tell you that very quickly people should increase those limits to 250,000, 500,000 with an umbrella. Once they acquire any asset, they really do need to start protecting. A kid out of college, I can make an argument for 100,000, 300,000. But I'd say a 26, 28-year-old that's working, they should begin to, you know, if they're seeing you and talking to you as an advisor, they're really starting to think the right way, that they probably have a house. They need that something could happen there. They need to have coverage that matches their growing needs. So help people understand that 100,000 or whatever for bodily damage. So you're driving down the road, deer runs out in front of you, you swerve, you hit a, a lamppost. You do damage to the lamppost, but you do a lot of damage to you, and you get you end up in the hospital. You have a lot of medical bills. People are asking, so isn't that my medical insurance that pays for that? What's the car? What's the auto insurance part? And how does that all work? Yeah, and it really is. I mean, once you, if you get hurt in that accident, typically it is going to be. Uh, if you're getting hurt driving down the road for work, it's going to be your work comp. If it's going to, if it's medical, it's going to be your medical insurance will pay for it. That medical is oftentimes taking care of somebody that's driving in the car with you. So if you're driving down the road, and here's the easy example, and you hit somebody, you're in a BMW and you hit a Mercedes, and your car is worth 50 and their car is worth $75,000, and you've hurt the person in that car and you've totaled yours. So you're, and that person, there's two people in that car. One of them broke a leg, the other one's gonna be in the hospital for three weeks. The $100,000 is per person in the accident. So. One of those people in the car can have up to $100,000 that you hurt. And then two of them, if they were both hurt, you can have up to $300,000. Likely, if you hit somebody and you hurt both of them, $300,000 won't begin to cover what they're going to need. And that's to their medical expenses only. That's, uh, there's a lot that goes into the liability. Um, you know, it could even include things... Um, Pain and suffering. It could, you know, the things that you hear on TV that, that they're, yeah. they're looking for, there's going to be pain and suffering and it's going to be a big part. There's defense coverage in there as well that you're going to have to get. And that's why when we talk about needing an umbrella for $150 a year, if I told you, you give me 150 bucks a year and I'm going to give you a million dollars of liability protection, it's the best deal you can ever get in insurance. And so back to that incident, so your car is damaged. And you've got comp and collision, so it'll fix yours. That $75,000 BMW, that's your property damage liability. That's that third set of numbers. 100,000, 300,000, 100,000, that third number is how much you have to fix things of other people's people. So imagine going down the road and you not only hit the Mercedes, but you hit a truck and you cause an accident with three or four up front, 100,000 won't be enough. You need your umbrella to pick up over what it doesn't pick up on your auto policy. That so makes sense? Yeah, I think we can get into umbrella a little bit more because uh, that seems kind of an area people don't quite get. Um, and then just, I guess, getting back to the the medical part, if 
you're driving down the street and you hit something and you hit your head and you have a lot of medical bills because you might have brain injury or something. That's what that's covering. But your personal medical insurance, your health insurance outside of that isn't going to be helping you? No, that well. is where your health insurance is going to pick That's you the up. primary, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the health insurance is definitely the primary on so that. So people need to think of this as either supplemental to what they have, so they need to understand their health insurance. They also need to think about if, if, if they hit a car or if there are other people in their car, this is covering, their auto is covering those people. Right. And, it, and what will likely happen is if the other person gets hurt and, and they have to get, and they're in the hospital, the hospital or the medical coverage may do something called subrogate. Because you're liable as a person that hit them, they may come back to you to reimburse them because you're the one that caused the accident. So oftentimes it's going to be, there's going to be these layers where you let attorneys fight it and two years later you find out what actually happened in that accident. So to pull this back up for now, most folks who are down in the weeds, so we talked yeah. about these split limits. So review again real quick. You've mentioned a couple dollar amounts as kind of a minimum starting point. I would say any of your customers, they should have 250000 for per person, 500000 um, per accident, mm -hmm. and at least $250,000 property damage with at least a million dollar umbrella on top. Okay. That, that's the minimum standard. So now on top of that, then we've heard about this thing called uninsured motorist, which is it a parallel set of coverages that mirror that? And maybe explain what uninsured motorist is briefly. One out, of, one out of every eight people you see driving down the road in Virginia is uninsured. Think about it. One out of every eight cars you pass doesn't have auto insurance. And they're the ones driving really carefully it, because oh, they know they don't have any insurance. Yeah, exactly yeah, that, right. Yeah. And so when you get in that accident and somebody T-bones you and they don't have insurance and it was clearly their fault, the only recourse you have is to go under your own policy, act as a claimant on your own policy and collect from uninsured motorists. And oftentimes what I see in these quote you in 15-minute companies is they'll quote them. They may quote them 100000 300000 on the liability, but then to make the policy cheap, they'll put minimum state limits at twenty five fifty on the UM. Okay. And that's just ridiculous. Okay. That was right over my head. And UM is uninsured motorist. Uninsured UM, uninsured motorist. You should always have your uninsured motorist liability limits at the same limits as your bodily injury. Every time, no exception. And the 2550 was a lower coverage a than what? A state minimum, okay. which you're allowed to okay. do. You can dumb down your uninsured motorist to minimum. Well, and under state law, you can have no insurance at all. As long as you give them a $500. And I've never met anybody that actually did it, but I know it's available. They don't believe in insurance. They'll just pay. It's basically a bond, $500 that says I'm self-insuring, which is crazy. All right. So uninsured motorists, the other big thing, and this goes to your umbrella. And, and I think that 80%, maybe higher, of your clients that are out there that have umbrellas don't know this. Uninsured motorist is not covered by your umbrella unless you add it. And it will double the price of your umbrella so clients don't oftentimes know it. So if you have a $150 umbrella and, and you need to have at least... That's the premium, you mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm okay. getting into the weeds a little bit and I'll try not... To get an umbrella policy, you have to have minimum underlying auto limits of 250000 500000 You can't do it with 100000 300 Typically, you've got to have at least two fifty five. So when you get that million-dollar umbrella, you will see it will not include coverage for uninsured motorists on the umbrella. So the guy T-bones you at the intersection. You've got serious damages and in, in injury. You will only get the auto limits unless you endorse your umbrella policy 
to include uninsured motorists. And it's expensive, but it's worth it. So I would, I would tell everybody to go look at your policy and see if you haven't. I bet you don't. Where do people look? On, on the first page of their umbrella, they will see either excluded or included coverage for uninsured motorists. Right on that declaration. Is it required page. to be on the deck page, a yeah, declaration they've, page they've got, for that policy now? They've, they've got to show you that it's not there or there. Hmm. Okay. Um, that's a good tip. That, yeah. That's helpful for people. What about, um, and this maybe we defer this to the umbrella uh, topic, um, but I'll ask one more because I'm sure people are maybe thinking about it. So I've got, you know, split limits and I've got 500000 on my uh, auto policy and I have a million-dollar umbrella. So that extends my coverage to a million five? Correct. Right. Okay. So you have 500000 on your auto policy. To clarify, you have 500000 What does it say on your declarations page? $500,000 in liability protection. Right. And it then your not, umbrella says a million. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's and, incremental. I guess I want to just correct. make sure that's clear. And if you have $5 million in assets and you have a million-dollar umbrella, you have an issue because if they're going to sue you for what you have, what your value is. So if you hurt somebody badly and the attorneys and you know in this state, they can't. So they have to, you have to declare your limits mm-hmm. if asked mm-hmm. by an attorney. And you have a million, but you have $5 million in assets. Guess where the other four is coming from? They can, they will sue you for all your worth, and all all you have to pay back is the million five. But if you've got more, they will go after the rest of your assets. So my suggestion to financial planners and their clients is buy an umbrella for your assets, match your assets to an umbrella, and and better protect yourself. Okay, so I don't. I, I, in the interest of time, I want to keep moving, but I yep. have a couple of quick fire auto questions, and I'm sure others may have similar questions, and so. Um, the first one is, how is Autoglass repair covered? And are there different ways that gets covered, you know, under a policy? Yeah, so it's covered under comprehensive and people always get upset. It's one of those places where for minimal amount of money, it causes the most pain to my, my producers and my account managers because you, there's a du- deductible that applies. So if you have a $500 comprehensive deductible, you're not going to get anybody to pay for your glass because in most cases, unless you've okay. got an antenna built into your glass like the Mercedes and some Lexus, it's going to cost 250 bucks to replace your your glass. So why do I? Their answer, their question always is, well, why do I have comprehensive if it's not right. going to pay for my glass? Well, there are new coverages out in most auto policies where you can buy back full glass coverage. So you keep a $500 deductible on comprehensive, but you can buy out to a zero deductible for glass. And I would tell your clients they can ask their carriers because most auto insurance carriers have gone to that now, where you can buy your glass back if you. I like. think I have that actually. Oh, who's your agent? No comment. Okay. Uh, I think I have $100 actually on that. So it's not the same as my other deductible. Is your agent a cartoon character on TV? Never mind. No. No. His name's Jeff, but I'm not going to do any endorsements. Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. Another question. (laughs) When you go to the airport and you go to the rental car place. Yeah. And they say, hey, do you need rental car insurance coverage? I think the answer is going to be it depends. It does. So what can you tell people who are listening on what are the rules of thumb on whether they're, whether they're rolling the dice or whether they're they're covered under their policy? And so off air before we started, we were going through this, and it's, it's kind of convoluted. If you get in an accident with a rental car and you have comp and collision on your insurance, typically, under most cases, they're going to pay to fix that car. What the rental car company is going to come back to you and say is, yeah, well, I lost – um, 10 days of usage of that car, and I could have got it for 100 bucks a day, so you owe me $1,000 uh, because of that. And 
that's called loss of fair rental value of the car. My argument is if they have 20 Ford Focuses on the lot and they're telling you that you need to reimburse them for the $1,000, my question is, well, you got another 19 on the lot. Don't tell me you lost a fair rental value, but it's not going to work. The argument doesn't work in court cases typically, so you might as well spend the 15 bucks a day and buy the collision damage waiver. Or look at your credit cards and see if it's a platinum card, typically they will give you some coverage for collision damage waiver if you use that card to rent the car. So look at your card, call your credit card company. A lot of them, the Platinums and Golds, will give you that coverage. Kind of riffing off that question, a lot of people travel internationally. You have some place you want to rent a car. Does your credit card cover that? Or should you always take oh. out that insurance? Oh. Or should you call your insurance company? What do you do before you know you're going to rent a car overseas? They call us when they go, and we tell them the same thing every time. Buy the overseas coverage. You have to have it. Your U.S. coverage isn't going to apply over there. If you've got an auto policy and you're renting a car overseas, buy the buy the European or wherever you're going insurance. The gold card doesn't work. It'll work to a, to a small degree, but it's not going to protect you the way you need to be protected by a true insurance policy. That's not what that credit card company is going to get you. Okay. So my last question before we move on from auto. I, th- I think I've got this right or else I've been telling myself the wrong thing for years. You let someone else borrow your car. I've been told insurance follows the car or insurance follows the driver. Car. Which one is it? Okay. Insurance follows a vehicle. Okay. You let somebody borrow your car and they crash it, it's covered by your insurance, not theirs. Okay. I've been meaning to tell you something since I went out and got our lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you beat me to that one. All right. Let's move on in the interest of time. So I think that was a good overview um, on auto. So let's go into the, the homeowners next and then we'll finish up with umbrella because I think that'll be a good way to tie things up quickly. So yeah, I still want to find out why you have to insure an umbrella. But like the golf umbrellas, the big ones, yeah. I get You're going to have to wait, right, find out. Stay tuned. Drama. So Jeff, on the homeowner side, break it down at a very high level. Why is it critical? What are the main components of, of that type of coverage? You know, you'll see it if you read your policy, that, that one page that some people do actually look at, coverage A, B, C, D. And so at a very high level, coverage A, that's the, the coverage you get on the dwelling itself. It is the mis- most misunderstood coverage that we find because people, including real estate agents and mortgage loan officers who we deal with a lot, don't understand it. So coverage A, then you've got the coverage B, you've got a pertinent coverage, which means you have a shed on your property. Then you've got the coverage C, which is your personal property, then coverage D, which is loss um, so loss of like if you need to go rent a place while your house is burnt down and you have to go live someplace, it's coverage to give you that back. And typically, it's all a function of that coverage. So if your dwelling coverage is 300000 your second coverage, the appurtenance is going to be 10% of that. Your coverage C, a good policy, should be at least 70% of the coverage, the value of the, the coverage on the home. Coverage D is going to be 20%. Of coverage A. So that 10% for other dwellings, what if you, or other structures, what if you don't have a shed, you don't have a pool house, you don't have a detached garage, do you have to get it? It's built into the policy. So it's the it way covers if you build something. Yeah. Like a I, chicken coop, is that covered? You could, you, your chicken coop would be covered. <laughs> I just, I'm just the building chickens, one of those now. The chickens won't be, okay. but the chicken coop would be. That's okay. another episode. Is that personal is, property? Uh, yeah, we're not, we're not going to go because okay. livestock. Farm enemy, yeah, you're farm not gonna animals. Get that. Okay. We got to buy you a gentleman farmer policy and they have them out there. Nice. We can buy you that. Okay. okay. Good to know. He's no gentleman. Next question. Hang on. So maybe we'll come into this, but you mentioned the dwelling coverage. So some, at least I look at a lot with clients, which is. Hasn't been looked at in ten years. It's been with for that whole period of time. How do I how do I triangulate the uh, 
the value that's covered under my dwelling policy with what Zillow says or, you know, replacement value or the whatever coverage ratio? So most insurance homeowner policies I've seen have what's called a built-in 4% inflation guard. So if you wrote it 20 years ago, theoretically, the cost of the home, um, construction cost of a home or reconstruction has gone up about 4% a year every year. So your insurance policy should have done a decent job. The problem we get into typically is somebody will buy a home and, and they're going to pay $250,000 for a home. And, and oftentimes you see this with older homes because they'll buy one, let's say it's down in the city and they want to buy one down there. Well, the replacement cost to put that back the way it was, maybe $500,000. And and loan officers in, are trying to get to a certain number in that loan. And so you'll send them a homeowner quote that will be, that will put them out of ratio. And they'll say, no, we just want to have an insurance policy to match the price they're going to pay for the house. And, and by law, I mean, you really can't do it. Insurance companies aren't going to let you insure underinsure a house. They're not going to let you pick the value to insure a home at. It has to be insured at the true replacement cost. And any good agency is going to do what we call a full replacement cost estimator on every homeowner policy you write. It's already you know at stake, so we're not going to underinsure a home. Is anybody issuing policies that aren't replacement cost? Almost all good insurance policies are replacement cost. I would say the question is more, are all insurance agencies doing a full replacement cost estimation, or are they just throwing out a price that's low and, and using a low coverage? A? And, and I see more of that than I do anything else. Almost any good homeowner policy these days has replacement cost built into it. So somebody's looking at the first page, that declaration page of their policy, it's got those little rectangular boxes and it's got the coverage. Somewhere they're looking for something that says replacement cost on, on the actual structure. Yeah. And, and the one thing we build in, because we know it's not an exact science and any good, again, any good homeowner policy is going to have something called 125%, at least, maybe more, guaranteed replacement cost. So I insured at 300000 I do the best job I can and I come up with that replacement cost of three hundred and five years later the house burns down and I have to replace it and it's four hundred thousand. The policy that I sell has that twenty-five percent buffer built in to make sure that because it's not an exact science, they get an extra twenty-five percent so they can replace that home correctly. So they again the 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 insurance industry doesn't want to underinsure, but they also don't want to get into positions in time of claim where people don't have enough coverage. So we will always put that 25 or 50% guarantee into a quote. And most agents, most good agents will. How do you know if you have a good agent? Ooh. And that's not a, not a trick question. I'm just, are there certain, do you, you want to look for a policy that specifies that and that? Here's what I would say. If, if and I'm really biased towards this, and you know this, we've had this conversation off air. I would never work with anything, anybody but an independent insurance agent that represents multiple companies. Because at that point, you're not working for the insurance company. You're my client, and I represent those insurance companies. Oftentimes, when you go to those ones you hear online, the people you're talking to are employees of the company, and that's not what you want. You want your, represent, your representative to be independent and fight for you not to be beholden to the insurance company. So number one is that. The second thing I would, I would say is when you talk to somebody, if their primary focus is price, walk away and go to somebody else that is asking you coverage questions before they go to price questions. Um, I had two quick follow-ups. Um, one was around um, folks who look at Zillow. and Maybe I'm the only person who's ever asked themselves this question, but hey, I'm going to make up. My, my house is worth 400000 on Zillow, but my policy dwelling coverage is three hundred. 
So the delta in general, obviously, if your house burns down, is the, there's value for the land, right? So it's not necessarily a one-to-one relationship with what your dwelling coverage is and what your home is valued at. Never. Correct. I've never seen Zillow be right when it well, comes to- Well, that's a whole different issue, but yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, what your statement is correct. You will never be able to associate cost of the house to cost to repair a house or replace a house. It just isn't the same. They're two very different things. So people know that when they look at their policy right after this podcast, everyone, most everyone's probably going to think they're underinsured, right? Because they're going to go online and see what their house or their appraised value was right. and their policy's low, but they should consider it's, that it's just a dwelling. Yeah. And, and land's expensive. Let's say you live on a lake. You know, the lake, the land itself may be worth $100,000 and you never insure the land. You can insure what happens on that land if there's an incident, but you don't insure the land. The land's going to be there. When the house burns down or the tornado hits, the land will still be there, we hope. Well, we had a lot of rain last week, oh. and there were sinkholes. So oh, yeah, here we that go. That gets into the 200 level. All right. What, what about? Okay. Well, I, w- I will say that sinkhole is considered earth movement. It is not covered on most policies. And so the things you don't get on a homeowner policy, unless you add them, are earthquake and flood. And those are two of the big ones. Now... I'm a nerd because I've been doing this for a long time. If you look at my house in the middle of Midlothian, I have flood coverage and I have earthquake coverage because I'm the insurance nerd and I'm going to be prepared when it happens. So I, I would say there's an argument to be made the closer you get to Louisa County to, <laughs> to consider earthquake coverage as a primary. You've got to have it on your policy. Is that the epicenter of where it that is. cocktail table fell over? That you see the yeah, Never uh, forget. Okay. Back up in water and, of water and sewer. Is never, this a standard rider? No. Most it, yeah. If 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 you're dealing with an agent that doesn't put water and sewer on the quote, though, at least twenty five thousand walk away. We won't sell one without water and sewer backup. Okay, can you explain that? Yeah, and, and it's a tricky coverage because some people think that it's like if water backs up in your house, and that's typically not not where this comes from. Um, water and sewer backup is is really water and sewer coming back out of the sewer system, or if you're on um, county water and sewer, it's the backup of that water coming up through and damaging your floors. It's not if my kid forgets to flush the toilet. Correct. And, That's already covered. floods. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that is a covered Sorry. claim. Uh, but, what, but it's true. I mean, and, and people don't, or the washing machine, you know, those are the kind of things. The water and sewer, but it happens. And, and then here's the other big one that is now available. You have the tree root grow through your sewer line out front. It backs up. You don't typically you're not going to get any coverage if the damage started out in the yard and it backed up. And then you have an eight thousand dollar repair job because you've got to tear out your entire yard. You've got to put in new pipe. Well, the insurance companies are now offering the coverage. It's about twenty bucks a year. And I now have four companies, and all the rest are following suit. Buy the service line endorsement coverage that's coming out and check with your company because it's a new coverage. It should have been on there a long ago because you don't want people to be angry at time. You know, they're going to call you and say, well, why didn't, why didn't you tell me it wasn't covered? Why don't they have it on my homeowner's policy? And now you can get it. So for 20 bucks, 25 bucks. And that's it. called service line coverage. Service line coverage. So service line coverage is if a tree grows into one of the lines and causes damage in your house that's expensive to fix. The water septic sewer backup is if one of those systems fails and it starts going the wrong direction. Now, what if you live at the top of a hill? What type of, do, do people need to think about that? Or is that just like, it's going to happen? It, it, What's the coverage you think is going to happen at the top? Is it earth movement? Your house sliding no, down I'm just the thinking hill? is, you know, gravity, right? Something <clears throat> runs downhill and that's what's in that sewer line. 
Right. No, that's what I'm thinking oh, is, you know, do, do people need to be, you know, kind of thinking, oh, gee, depending on where my house is, I should or shouldn't get this? Or is it just like, it's not that expensive, just add it because it could happen? Yeah. I mean, for me, if when with the inexpensive coverages like that, I just add them. If it's 20 bucks, 25 bucks, why, why wouldn't you put it on your homeowner policy? That's kind of where I go. I mean, with the flood coverage or the earthquake coverage. I have earthquake coverage and it's a frame home and I doubt I'm ever going to get damaged by earthquake, but it's so cheap when you're in a place like we are. It's like it's 100 bucks a year, I think, to add earthquake to my policy. It just wasn't that expensive. So I figure when it happens and everybody else is upset around me that doesn't have it, I'm just going to sit in my front yard and say, hey. Of course, it's probably your deductible so high you won't use it anyway, but, right? Well, maybe. I don't know. You know better than I, so. All right, sorry. So let me ask, let me ask another uh, segue into the umbrella. So um, uh, well, talk about liability coverage on the homeowner's policy and how that then would maybe kind of dovetail into an umbrella policy or, or an event where you, you would need more liability coverage than your homeowner's policy would offer. Yeah, and this is a, it's funny. The, the term umbrella is a misnomer in the, in, in the industry. It really is. And if you ask anybody that knows, it's no longer an umbrella policy. Excess Back, liability? Is yeah, oh, there, look at he's good. I at studied. This. Yeah. So it, it, most umbrella policies, there are still some true umbrella policies. Um, but today, most of the policies you buy are called excess liability policies. And, and what they're doing, if you have the coverage under your homeowner or your auto and you have an umbrella, the, or, or under the home or the auto, the umbrella is going gonna, is gonna to give you those graduated limits. If there's a coverage that's not on your home or not on your auto, the umbrella is not going to pick back down into that and find coverage where the auto and home didn't have it. So it truly is just an excess layer of liability. There are some some umbrella policies and some companies that do sell true umbrellas where they will drop down to dollar one and pick up some worldwide coverage on there. But there's not a lot of them out there. Okay. So go ahead, Dave. Well, so okay, you've got your car insurance. That if if you have it at its max, you have a half a million dollars in personal liability while driving. You have your auto, and or pardon me, you have your homeowners. Maybe you have another half a million dollars in excess liability, personal liability. So somebody slips and falls on the steps coming into your house, or dog you know, bites somebody. You're, you know, found guilty of slander. Maybe uh, you know something that's personally liable. Ooh, there's another good one. So Only those two are those two together. I, I would, you know, some people will say, well, you know, I got a half a million here, I got a half a million here, therefore I'm covered to the tune of a million dollars. But I've heard they're not. So yeah. what do they need to know? So in, from personal, personal injury liability, that's an interesting coverage. You can get it on your homeowner policy and, and you can get it onto your umbrella. So for those things like slander. Um, but typically you don't see it on there. Um, but personal injury liability happens. And I would tell you if your homeowner policy doesn't have some underlying personal injury and your umbrella doesn't cover it, I'd, I'd probably look to try to, to upgrade that. But that's a great question. You don't see them often. I've probably only seen a couple of those defamation or slander care um, claims personally, because typically those happen on business insurance. And on the business insurance side, you have coverage for things in your professional liability policy that covers it. And then those people who are saying, well, okay, I'm not going to slander anybody. No one's going to sue me. But to your point, you know, your dog bites somebody or somebody slips and falls. Does your auto liability come in and help? Never. Your auto is going to be it's honor about. A coverage for liability is always honor about the auto. 
I mean, that's a, or with your house. So, so on your home, it's so people who have half a million in each one can't feel secure that they're covered no. to the tune of a million. No, and, and but what a lot in, of people don't don't see, see that. Yeah. I, now I see where you're going, and it's interesting with your homeowner policy. You typically have not you have something called comprehensive personal liability, which means the liability coverage isn't restricted just to your home and property. Those liability issues can happen off property and still covered by your homeowner policy. On an auto policy, typically it has to be on or about. For that auto policy mm-hmm. to, to, to trigger coverage, it's on or about the auto. Um, but your home has extensive coverage. So if somebody slips and falls walking on your car, Ooh. then that, that In the garage. In the garage. If it, oh, then you double up. Okay. That would be, I don't want to okay. get too geeky on right, that. that but yeah, that's that's very marketing. unlikely. That's, okay. yeah. I don't know how much time we have left, but I got to tell you something that no one ever does right. If you've got two minutes, jewel- you, got, you got five. You got two. Jewelry. Yeah, I was going to ask that. It just drives me. This is where most people get frustrated with us. Your homeowner policy doesn't cover mysterious disappearance up up past a certain small dollar amount. Unless you schedule your jewelry on your homeowner policy or get a separate rider, just do it, get it over with, because you will be really mad at us when the rock falls out of your engagement ring and you can't find it and you call me and and you want the claim paid and you want that rock. Well, it's not happening unless you schedule it. So... It is where we upset more people when we have to answer that question. Schedule, schedule, schedule your jewelry. But so, that's what starts adding a lot of cost when you do that. Eight, 75 cents per, per hundred. So if you have a $10,000 ring, it's 85 bucks a year. It's crazy how cheap it is. It's crazy cheap. Lisa, your 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 excess premium was like a thousand bucks. You must have a huge. Oh, she yeah. has a lot of jewelry, <laughs> bling. So, what about the difference between having it as a scheduled uh, item on your policy versus a, a standalone personal articles policy? Does it matter? Yeah, you know, some people say it's good to have it separated because if your homeowner gets cancer, you still have it. But I, okay. I, I think one less policy in life is good. I just schedule it onto your home. Okay. All right. So we're we're kind of uh, running low on time. Um, are there any? I mean, we've kind of a roundabout way covered umbrella or excess liability coverage. Jeff, with that in mind, are there other things that you think we've missed? Anything kind of that you want to mention on this topic, or maybe topics we've um, not covered in the interest of time? You know, the only thing I said it earlier is is go back and check your uninsured motorist on your umbrella. I think for, from that standpoint, it's probably the most missed issue. And I will tell you that I have a lot of policies in force. I'll bet you from the old days, where we have an umbrella in place where we don't have uninsured motorists on it. So it's it's not like this is one of those things. It's pretty pervasive in the industry where UM's not covered. And and I think it's one of those things we should fix. So I have a quick question. Uh, we, we won't get into renter's insurance. I doubt too many of our listeners are currently renting, and that's a whole different area. However, a lot of our listeners have kids who kids are college. or going to college. So you've either got their apartment or you've got their dorm room. What do they need to know just briefly? Really really simple. If they're in the dorm, they've got coverage under their parents' policy. The liability extends, and you've got some property coverage for their personal property. If they move out and move into an apartment on campus or off campus, you really need to get a separate renter's policy because you're not going to get the coverage. You're nodding like you knew that answer, too. If they're in the dorm, it's okay. Once they get to be that junior and they move out and get their own apartment like my kid just did, I got her a renter's policy. They're 120 bucks a year. So if it's covered under your, you're in the dorm and you've got coverage under your folks policy, does the excess liability coverage pertain as well? Correct. So, you know, if you yeah. have too much fun on a Friday night and Oof. do something silly, Oof. got it. Please. Okay. Yeah. Lisa. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm, he, you answered the 
question about renter's insurance because people overlook that a lot and it shouldn't be overlooked. And, and it's because their, their agent may not be telling them, right? Because when the claim comes in, if they're in an apartment, they're going to say, yes, sorry. That was only if they were in the dorm room. So. And there's a corollary to that, which is, you know, keep the people that you work with informed of what's going in your life because in defense, their agent might not know. Absolutely. That happens a lot where the agent's answer is, sorry, you didn't tell me. If you had told me, I'd have answered it. So one quick question. Yeah. So if I've had these insurance policies for years. How often am I supposed to renew them or review them or? If you trust your agent, um, I would say every three to five years, it's good to shop. And and I will also tell you that an insurance agent, if somebody calls every six months and we have those customers and and we have an acronym for them, um, we will typically, it's really hard for us to have people call every six months and want us to shop. We have 2,400 customers in in our agency. We just can't do it. If somebody wants us to shop every six months, they're better off doing it on their own and you know, calling the 800 numbers because it, it just, it's cost prohibitive for us. But I would say every three to five years is a good measure um, or if big life event change. Divorce, marriage, moves. Those three times. Divorce, marriage, so move all So three to five years, I'm going to call my insurance agent and say, hey, we haven't looked at this. Can we shop it around and see if we can do any better? Absolutely. Or, or are we missing something that maybe you have now that we didn't have back then. And their response should be, absolutely, tell me about the last couple of years, what's different than, than a couple of years ago, and they should start having the conversation looking for coverage gaps, things that have happened in those three to five years. I think it's a great way to, to wrap the podcast, a great way to summarize. So, Lisa, thank you for that. Jeff, thank you for absolutely. being a guest. You're a good sport. Thanks. So uh, I just want to review our, or remind our listeners of a couple of quick things. Um, if you're not already subscribed – Subscribe on iTunes, Evo5 Podcast. Get us on podbean.com, Twitter, Instagram, or email at evo5podcast at gmail.com. Or you can send a letter to, handwritten. That's right. Self-addressed stamped envelope <laughs> with two proof of purchase. This is like the Saturday morning car show. What's the uh, Car talk. Car talk. Love that well, show. Maybe someday. Yeah. Uh, we can't wait for you guys to check our next podcast out. In a few weeks, we'll be talking about starting a new business. So again, thanks to our guests, and we'll see you next time.